This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Available every day during the Cricket World Cup. This is the TMS Podcast from BBC Radio 5 Live. Facing Archer, driving edges, caught. Jaru takes the catch at Slip. And the boos, inevitable boos, are for Steve Smith's arrival on the ground. Here's O'Shane Thomas bowls to Wahab Riazi's bowled, and Pakistan have been bowled out for 105. That is the end of the game here at the Oval. Match five of the ICC Men's Cricket World Cup. Bangladesh have beaten South Africa. Hello and welcome to the Test Ban Special Podcast on day four of the Cricket World Cup. We've had our closest match of the competition so far and a shock result as well. The story of Bangladesh's win over South Africa to come. And we'll hear from Owen Morgan as England gets set for Pakistan on the record-breaking deck at Trent Bridge. Hello, I'm Owen Morgan. Welcome to the TMS Podcast of the Cricket World Cup. Well, Alex Stewart, we have waited for the World Cup to explode into life after that first game when England defeated South Africa. We've had three games since then which have been rather one-sided. But today, I thought we were kept on our toes for, for the, the most part of this match. I'd say that Bangladesh felt like they were on top throughout all of it, but South Africa was still in with a sniff all the way through to the end. It made for a very... Very exciting game, and in the end, the, de- the winners were deserved winners, Bangladesh. No, they were, South Africa never got going. That was the thing, they never really got the, got up to seven, so they were always hovering around that five, five and a half, touch six for a while. But they never got in a position where they were in charge, where they were ahead of the game. Yes, that is, you could say, South Africa's poor play, but I thought Bangladesh were excellent. I thought the captain was very good, the way he shuffled his bowlers around, his fielding. Say so two drop catches, I think they were, but the rest of their ground fielding generally was good. And their batting was excellent, especially the last six, seven overs. And I think that was the difference. The last six overs, when Bangladesh really pushed the accelerator and took a total of around 300, 310, right up to 330. What was it about South Africa today, though? Somehow they looked a bit more lacklustre in losing by 21 runs than they had done in losing by over 100 against England, especially in the field. Well, I think in the field, one is losing Ngidi. You know, that, that is an issue because he's a banker bowler. And then because he had to walk off after four overs, the six overs made up of part-timers, which were Malcolm and Dumini, meant that between Ngidi, Dumini and, and Markram, they went for 82. Also, when you're in the field and you are not taking wickets and you're in a game where at the start you're expected to win, when you're seeing bowlers run up and just bowl a ball and not really thinking about the plans... That is frustrating too, and it looked to me as though that was the case. They've had team meetings that have gone through each individual batsman, where we should bowl, how are we going to bowl? And then once you get out in the middle, it looks as though everything that's been written on the whiteboard has been wiped off, and it's just a blank bit of paper or blank board. And I saw some frustrated South African fielders out there, and that potentially was the reason why they then looked lacklustre. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the day when uh, South Africa won the toss, and they elected to bowl, and there were some raised eyebrows there, because all those sides chasing have been doing well in this World Cup, certainly in the last couple of days. This was a worn pitch, it had been used once before, and Bangladesh's strength lay in their spin bowlers, yet for some reason, Faftu Plessy decided to go with bowling first, giving himself the task of batting on that worn pitch towards the end of the day. That felt like the first mistake, didn't it? Two things. One is 10.30 start. It is only 30 minutes, but at this time of year, it can make a difference. Secondly, I know that the pitch was watered after the England 
South Africa game and South Africa would have seen that and then they've trained here as well so they saw a little bit more live green grass on this service than perhaps they did against England they thought with their seam attack they would get a couple of wickets early on once they bowled it was pretty obvious <laughs> that wasn't going to happen there was that one miscatch at slip which could have proved very very costly um, but from that moment on yes it was then all about Bangladesh. So, yes, the toss played a part, but really it was then how both sides play. And Bangladesh played far, far better than South Africa. Well, what impressed me about Bangladesh, they got off to a decent start, 60 in, in eight and a bit overs, but they lost Tammy Mikbal. But Sumya Saka at the other end, he looks a real player. And you can see him scoring a lot of runs at the top of the order in, in this tournament. If he gets good pitches, he's... He hits a really clean ball. He doesn't seem to be worried by the short ball. He had a couple of decent balls. They weren't right at the throat or at the head, but he still had, looked like he had a decent technique off the back foot. He drilled some drives. But even when he was out, it's the experience they've got. You know, now when you look at Tamim, Shakib and Mushfika, three really experienced players in the top four with Sumya Saka, then you start to see a, a, a really genuine potent threat, don't you, with the I bat? Think, I think their styles of batting as well complement each other. So... You know, we've just seen two openers. I mean, Tammy McBell came over here with a tremendous reputation of being the go-to player of yesteryear, say, a Jaya Saria, a Sawag, that type of player. Well, he's been outscored by his opening partner, so that tells tells a story in itself. But Shaki batting at three is a great, great move from Bangladesh's point of view. He enjoys batting at three. His record in recent times has been very good, and he showed all his experience. And that partnership with Mushfikar was crucial because it's quite easy to go are we going to have to attack a little bit more but they batted sensibly they knocked the ball around they then hit boundaries when they had to they didn't press the gamble button too early and therefore they're always going to post a competitive total but through having wickets in hand going into the last 10 overs it allowed Bangladesh to then be really attacking at the very very end now we're going to go to tomorrow Nicholas he's got Faf Duplessis with him the South African captain tell me about today yeah, obviously today didn't go according to plan. Um, once again, starting the camp, the innings off with Lungi getting injured. Um, yeah, so not ideal, but even with that happening, um, 3.30 I thought was a little bit over par. Um, and then we got, once again, everyone chipped in with a bat, but all in all, not a great performance from us. If you won the toss again, would you bowl first again? Looking back on it now, uh, no, I'd probably change that. Um, but the, the thinking was, speaking to all the local guys that's played here, yeah, the groundsmen, um, that there was going to be more pace and bounce in it. Um, obviously, when you play against a subcontinent team, if they do get runs on the board, um, then they can squeeze you, and that's what happened today. So in hindsight, uh, I'd probably change that decision. And a very damaging 54 runs from the final four overs. Yeah, there's, like I said, there's a few areas where we weren't great today, you know, and we have to take that on the chin. You know, even with Lungi's injury, he's our go-to death bowler with KG. But even with that, um, to go for that many runs, I looked up at the screen out towards the end, and at 45, we had the same mark. Yeah. So that showed that that last five overs was, was very bad. The great skill of any sporting side that's having a rough time is to find a way, isn't it? Round the corner is India and yep. Southampton. No easy game. No, it's definitely not getting easier. But that's, I mean, South Africa is a very proud sporting nation. Um, skills weren't there today, but I can promise you that there'll be fights. So the guys will make sure they get back into practice and, and trying to make it right. But at the moment, we're firing at about 50, 60 percent. And... It shows even Bangladesh can beat that on any day. OK, we wish you well come uh, Southampton and the Indians. Thank you, Mark. Okay, Thank you. Thanks. But do a swap of microphones there, Faf. Mashrafi Matoza, ladies and gentlemen. What a performance today. Well done. You got so much right. Yeah, obviously, in our 
fast match always you know set the tone we have been positive uh, we have been uh, played well in ireland you know just carry on from here you know love to keep our momentum exactly the better set the tone for us and i tell you what what about the crowd here did it feel like a home match yeah obviously you know crowd was crowd was behind us thanks thanks to all the bangladeshi crowd hopefully next match they will come and supporting us as well in the same way yeah big game here at new zealand you'd like all those supporters back on wednesday wouldn't you yeah you're you expecting the same way obviously you know back home those are way, uh, watching in the tv they they also expecting us to win hopefully we'll go well inshallah next match great tremendous day for bangladesh cricket well played you're up and running in thank the 2019 you. wednesday world cup well done thank you That was Mark Nicholas with Mashrafi Murtaza, the Bangladesh captain. They are up and running and in some style. Alec, thanks ever so much for, for joining us. We'll see you again um, shortly. We're, we're going to bring in Natalie Jamanos in a minute, but first I've got an extremely happy Russian alarm next to me. He's uh, got a Cheshire cat grin on and he has every reason to. Uh, because Bangladesh, I, I wouldn't say they, they walked today, but they were on top pretty much from the beginning through to the end. I mean, South Africa were with them a lot of the way, but mm. you... You'd say Bangladesh were ahead of the game throughout. And that's going to be really pleasing, hasn't it, for Bangladesh fans? Absolutely. I think in the past games like this, we would have seen Bangladesh looking level and then just let it slip away. But we, again, showed our sort of confidence and maturity to sort of stay with the demands of the game right the way through and then sort of see out the window, I think. So, yeah, I think Bangladesh fans will be really happy. I think the team will be really happy as well. Is it time that we started to take Bangladesh properly seriously? I mean, a lot of people... say well you're about to the better side but deep down they're probably not expecting them to make it to the semi-finals but on the, on today's performance I see no reason why they couldn't beat any side in the tournament on their day and I, and I don't mean in a kind of giant killing way I mean they appear to have a game plan they appear to have the people who could execute that game plan they they know what they want their spinners to do they've got an awful lot of experience that four of their top six mm. have played hundreds and hundreds of one day international so mm. they they appear to to have a plan and they appear to be sticking to it is, is that a fair assessment i think it's a fair assessment i think this team has been quietly confident for a long time i think the the kind of the shortcomings of the asian size particularly in this tournament so far the short ball swing these are things that bangladesh have encountered in the last sort of two years leading up to this world cup and so they've had time to do their revision their homework and fix it and to make sure that they've had time to deal with and come up with a plan for all the things that this world cup is going to throw at them we saw we saw um Shoma Sharka who uh who, who sort of, you know was playing the short ball beautifully early on in the innings and that's not something that's happened overnight it's taken him a long time to go away and work on stuff so it's been yeah it's been a long time coming and i think this is a fruition of like a sort of a year two years worth of work on this side coming together to sort of be underdog/ slash not quite favorites but potentially semi-finalists in this tournament. You're listening to the TMS podcast with me Daniel Norcross, Natalie Jovanos and we're going to come to shortly Roshan Alam of the Dusra podcast along with our friend Anka Desai. Um now then, the one player I have to say who as I was watching this as a dispassionate neutral observer <laughs> that I thought was was a problem for Bangladesh was actually the captain Mashrafa Mortaza because it felt that he might perhaps not wanted to bowl himself as much as he was he was going to have to because of the balance of the side <laughs> in the end i i think safiuddin rather got him out of trouble a little bit didn't he he got a he got a really yeah. important wicket of rasi van der dusen just as he was getting going is that the one sort of problem of managing the captain long term because he's, he's clearly not superbly fit and he's been around quite a long time he he does have his moments and he has come under criticism in the past when he's not been required to bat and he's not bowled a few overs and his the question's been asked like is your job just setting the field and picking who bowls next effectively playing a computer game of cricket and choosing who does what next but his in 
input is still vital to the team. And we saw in Ireland there was a match where he took three wickets. He often leads from the front. His influence in the dressing room is still very, very important to the side. I think Bangladesh's selection was slightly contentious. I was surprised to see Saifuddin in there. I know he sort of uh, paid back by taking two wickets, but I wonder whether they selected him because they expected to bat deeper and it was almost at the expense of another pacer. We missed Rubal Hussain today, who, um, I mean, it's going to be hard for him to now try and justify mm. why he's selected again after a win and after his replacement has taken two wickets. But I think Mashrafi, he, you know, he's a player who will do what he needs to do for the team. I, I don't think he wanted to bowl six overs today, but he knew he had to. And I think, um, I think Saifuddin's first spell was particularly expensive. And at one point, I think Bangladesh might have gone, well, actually, who's going to bowl these overs? Who's yeah. going to save to the death? Because they were using the fizz up early. They used Mehdi Hassan almost, you know, from the start and Shakib was bowling in the 10th over. So, Early on, it did look like we were about to sort of, you know, play all of our cards quite early on. Um, and I think that will have to be looked at. And I think it will, it will also heavily depend on what the conditions are like. I think today at the Oval was one that actually sort of weirdly favoured Bangladesh's attack and the spin attack. But we're going to get greener pictures than this in the World Cup. And I don't think that's going to be a luxury then. Uh, there's a Cheshire cat grin on one side of me to the right. <laughs> there's, a, there's a slightly more rueful look on Natalie Jamalos's face. Uh, two matches have been lost. One to the world number one side, one to the world number seven side. Next up is India on Wednesday. Is it is it time just to start screaming and hit the panic button and and um, throw all the plans out the window and try something completely different? Well, I think if they start hitting the panic button, it's just going to get worse, isn't it? Uh, because from South Africa's point of view, that's happened in World Cups before where they've hit the panic button and it has just gotten worse, in particular in the big games that really matter. And losing to the number one side in the world in home conditions for the number one side. That's not really necessarily that disgraceful. From a bowling perspective, South Africa were really good against England, but from a batting perspective, they weren't that good. And they know they weren't. And that was one of their weaknesses going into the tournament. But today, starting off with Faf Duplessis' decision to bowl first, I think he made the wrong decision. Probably made the right decision in the first game because everybody said bowl first. In retrospect, probably should have batted first, but you can understand why he chose it. Today, a little confused as to why he chose to bowl first today because it's just one of those wickets. It looks a good wicket, but it might get tougher to actually chase on because of the nature of uh, Bangladesh's bowlers. If South Africa were the ones putting up over 300, Bangladesh could have still got there, but it's uh, unlikely that they might have got there and it might have worked more in South Africa's favour. But to push the panic buttons now, I think would put them in, in, a, in a really bad situation that... Um, it'll probably be a worse situation, actually, than the situation they're already in. And from today's point of view, I suppose the only real positive that they can take is the fact that their net run rate has improved. <laughs> it was minus yes. 2.08. It's now minus 1.25. It's amazing, isn't it, how, how your net run rate can improve even though you lose. But yes, I, but, but that's no, that's absolutely true. That, that, that has happened. Um, there's another possible plus. So we saw Dale Stain running in and bowling a few deliveries in the outfield after the close of play. He's going to be really key, you would think, because one of the deciding moments of today was Lingingidi going off for the hamstring straight. Now, if he's got a hamstring problem, I saw Sam Curran do this the other day, and he's out for three or four weeks. I'm not sure that South Africa can afford to be without one of their main pace bowlers definitely injured, have a big cloud over another one, however great a bowler he is, Dale Stain. I'd, would it be pressing the panic button to call up a replacement? Because 
you know, South Africa can't afford to lose three more games. The interesting thing is, if you look over the, the time that Lungi Ngiri has been playing for South Africa, Ngiri, Rabada and Stain have only ever played in three one-day internationals together because there's always been an injury to somebody. So they've only ever played in three one-day internationals together and yet South Africa's plans have been all around those three from a bowling point, mm. point of view. So... Well, well, there's got to be concerns because we've seen a couple of sides, bouncing sides out. And frankly, South Africans didn't look like doing that on this pitch. It might be partly because of this pitch, but we didn't see them really getting the ball up around head and throat height. And I've got to say also the makeup of the batting. I mean, it, it struck me as, as a bit of a surprise when David Miller came out to bat at number four. He feels, does he not? A five at, at the at highest, six, really. So, I mean, is this part of the problem with Hashim Amla? It could be. Um, Hashim Amla's put a lot of pressure on the rest of the order because he's been out of form for so long and he hasn't been great. In one-day internationals, he's been okay in the last year, but he still hasn't been consistent. The problem that South Africa have is there's nothing wrong with Aidan Markham and Quinton Cock opening the batting, but if you're going to have David Miller at number four... JP Dubny then is not playing his role within the side. His role within the side is somebody to come in at number four, rotate the strike, keep the scoreboard ticking over and take pressure off the hitters that are coming in. But so you want to see them flipped? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. You look at JP Dubny's record in one-day internationals, he is a highly talented batter. And anybody will say he is incredibly talented, should be averaging in the 50s, strike rate of close to 100. But you look at the hundreds that he's scored in his one-day international career. They've been against Zimbabwe and the Netherlands. And he's never scored 100 against anybody else, against any of the big nations. So you have to ask the question, well, then what is his role in the side? Because if he's not going to come in at number four and possibly score you 100, he has to come down the order. From BBC Radio 5 Live, this is the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Tomorrow, England are back in action after they beat South Africa comfortably in their opening game last week here at the Oval. They face Pakistan at Trent Bridge and our cricket correspondent, Jonathan Agnew, has just been talking to the England captain, Owen Morgan. Okay, how do you feel about going into the second game then? First one out of the way, done and dusted. Yeah, things have settled down and we've had a couple of days to think about things and reflect on the good things that we did well and and, and the possible learnings of the game at the Oval. Um, And we're fully set for tomorrow against Pakistan. Um, They're a side that we've played a lot against recently. They're an extremely dangerous side on any day of the week. It's just, it depends what day that they strike. So we're preparing and planning for their A game to turn up and obviously try and impose our A game as well. Yeah. Did your A game turn up at South Africa? I mean, were you you critical in any way of what happened there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when your A game isn't allowed to play, particularly, you know, against South Africa with our batting, with the experience and, 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 and the nature and mentality that we switched to sort of our plan B, and the confidence that that we did it, I think, allowed us to get 300 um, and just over. Previously, maybe two years ago, we might have got 250 or 260 and, and been out of the game at the halfway stage. But I think our experience and, and the fact that we've come on a huge amount allowed us to adapt and, you know, still want to score 350, but... You know what, it, it wasn't our day with the bat and South Africa bowled well in, in conditions that allowed them to bowl well. So we were one of the strongest points of that was our batting and our adapting to conditions, yeah. um, which is great. It, it does show that we've come on a lot. Yeah. 
Were you expecting Imran Tahir to bowl straight away? No, we weren't. Um, certainly uh, not as many overs as he did first up, particularly with Engidi, the far end, when you have somebody like Rabada uh, you, in your side, you expect him to take the new ball. Um, so Tahir bowling one over, yes, did surprise us, but probably more so that he bowled a couple more after that. Can you see it happening again against against Roy and Bairstow? Yeah, I can. I can. And at different stages, you know, it's probably a, I watched the game this morning, uh, South Africa against Bangladesh, and it, it might be a trend, particularly with South Africa chopping and changing quite a lot. Uh, Rabada did come back and take the new ball this morning, but as regards how they're using Tahir, they're looking to save him towards the end, so other sides might look to that as a as a resource equally in the in the few games that have been played so far the short pitch delivery has been uh, effective uh, that might be the nature of the wickets they might be a little bit drier and maybe cross seam into the wicket is coming off a little bit too paced yeah ben stokes um people have been writing and you can you can you can totally disagree with it um that he perhaps hasn't been quite as fiery a character since bristol um particularly bowling wise do you think that catch, that's such a spectacular, brilliant, amazing piece of cricket, could it be something like that that could be a catalyst to sort of get, get old Ben back again? Um, I certainly haven't seen it, um, as you guys have. Uh, ben has been unbelievable since that Bristol incident. Uh, his work ethic, his mentality around the changing room and his performance, um, all working towards what happened the other day, contributing in all three facets of the game. Uh, being himself, going out and, and, and imposing himself on the game. And he did it with a great mentality as well, a great temperament, um, which is fantastic to see because he's maturing a huge amount as a cricketer. And when he goes out and puts in a performance like that, it is great, not only for English cricket, but for the sport. There's everybody, uh, I don't know, aged from five years old to 75 who watched the game the other day can relate to taking a great catch maybe taking a wicket and scoring runs and having one of those days where you do nothing wrong so for the sport it is awesome yeah and, and for him I mean your champion all-rounder and for you too to actually start the tournament like that in, in every capacity must be great it it is great and I think the main reason it's great is because when Ben's confidence is high, it rubs off on other guys. Yes. It's, it's very infectious around the change room, it's very f- infectious on the field. He, he, he'll want the ball to bowl, he, he'll want to be in the crucial moment when maybe we're losing wickets or we need to up the rate. So important parts of the game, it, it makes him uh, an important asset. Yeah. And changes, how are you going to do this though? And how, how are you going to keep people fresh but still playing a, the strongest side of like it's quite tricky isn't it yeah I think uh, keeping people fresh should be relatively easy because the games we play are, are well I suppose uh, proportioned out and, and we do have days off a lot of days off and we, we can have nice leads into games um, so I think turning up to any given ground and looking at the opposition I think we've got to pick our strongest 11 based on the ground and the circumstances that we think we're going to come up against and the opposition, what, what's most effective against them. Yeah. So is there a chance for someone else to play here? Well, Mark, Mark Wood, for instance, might play here? Yeah, there is There is a chance. Uh, we did see the, the wicket the other day go through a little bit yes. with a little bit more pace and, and expose Pakistan, uh, probably more so at the short ball. I did feel that they were a little bit unlucky as well with some of the dismissals. Yes. So it, it, it wasn't just a, a tale of, of bouncers. I think that's completely misled. It's... 
you know you have to bowl extremely well if you bowl short and it's off it it gets met in this day and age so uh, we'll still have to be on our game tomorrow um, in order to to try and win the game so no sort of tactical change as a result of what you saw with the West Indies as such no I don't think so it, it'll be it will be more just be good at what you're doing if you're going to use your short ball make sure it's in the right area um, but a good length is still a good length that was Owen Morgan with our cricket correspondent Jonathan Agnew who was with him in Trentbridge, he joins us now, as do Alex Stewart and Phil Tufnell. We're going to talk about England's prospects in the match against Pakistan tomorrow. Uh, Jonathan, if I could come to you first, from a rather soggy East Midlands, yes. I do believe. It's horrible up here. Uh, I mean, there's been no practice. Uh, I mean, it really hasn't. It's, it, it's rained uh, much of the day. The covers were on. Uh, Pakistan actually got a little bit of practice in. Um, but I suspect England, I'm afraid, won't, won't get anything in at all. Uh, well, that, that is a bit of a shame. Uh, I think the, the forecast is OK for tomorrow, though, yes, so uh, we, we, we should get a full game in. I just want to ask you first, before we move on to uh, Alec and Phil Tufnell, how good was England's performance, do you think, on Thursday? Well, I thought, as Owen Morgan said, it was it was excellent because they did adapt, and, and it was quite interesting there, wasn't he? They hadn't, they hadn't considered Iman Tahir bowling that first over as he did, so they were caught slightly hopping uh, there, and with Johnny Bairstow out first ball, all the nerves and, and everything else to do associated with the first match in the World Cup and all, you know, all of those ingredients uh, to, you know, to win so comprehensively I, I think he was, he was delighted I mean I, 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 I was sort of tempting him perhaps to say look you know we had four batsmen get past 50 no one actually went on to get that really big score to get us up to 350 and so on but I think yeah, I, I think a lot of uh, of what England felt about their performance there was A that adaptability and B phew <laughs> it's done uh, first one out of the way, and, and we're off and running. And, and so I, I you know, they, they, they'll, they'll talk about that, of course, and, and little bits here and there. But, but overall, it was an excellent performance. Well, um, they're going to be playing tomorrow, Alex Stewart, on a pitch that you would think is tailor-made for them. We think of England's ODI lineup as being based on Biff Bang Wallop. It's all about the batsmen. They've scored 444 and 481 on this surface. We believe it's the exact same pitch that they broke the world record on, and they're playing against the Pakistan side who have now lost innumerable ODIs running. 11, I think. It's at 11 now. Yeah. Well, and they looked, they looked wretched against the West Indies, but it's Pakistan. I think you expected them to bounce back tomorrow, or do you expect England to steamroll Pakistan? On recent form, you'd expect England to steamroll them. You know, that is the thing. You always say, what Pakistan is going to turn up? Well, the Pakistan that's been turning up has been a pretty ordinary outfit. And 11 games, as Agus says there, is a horrible run to be on. Now, that has to break at some stage because they have good players. But they don't look as though they're playing as a team. They don't look as though they understand how each other is going to play. And also, there'll be individuals who are unsure of their roles within the team. So if England play just 75% of their capacity, they should win. But it's easy to say that when it actually comes to the game starting, will Pakistan suddenly turn up and put in a performance which you go, wow, where did that come from? Phil Tufdall, uh, we saw Pakistan flinching, really, against the... Yeah. I mean, who knew if you bowl 92-mile-per-hour rockets well, in people's heads yeah. that it's hard, but it turns out that it is. Yeah, it is. And Andre Russell exposed them a, a, a fair bit, but all the West Indian bowlers did. Do you see England licking their lips at that and thinking, well, Mark Wood's got to come in, and if so, for whom? Yeah, mustn't get, mustn't get too carried away with that, I don't think, uh, England. I don't think they will. I mean, listening there to, to Owen Morgan, he said we're going to pick people on, you know, having a look at wickets and conditions and what have you and, and who we're playing against. So I think my, Mark Wood might have a chance of playing, perhaps. Um, 
Liam Plunkett perhaps might have to make way. But I mean, he's very good at bowling in those middle overs, isn't he? But if it comes, if the wicket looks like it was anything like like the West Indies, I think you'd probably look to play Mark Wood, don't you? But I mean, he's done a job so well for the England, though, Liam Plunkett. So they're, they're full of options, England. But um, yeah, as, as Alex said, if England turn up, go through, you know, just go through the processes, you would have thought that they'd get the better of Pakistan. Jonathan, I want to ask you that question because you're, you're a, a big old burly fast bowler. <laughs> you you must have thought, well, I, I'm pretty sure we all did at the start of this World Cup that there's not a lot in it for the fast bowlers these days. The balls don't swing, the pitches are perfect, they're basically cannon fodder. Well, it's turned out that that's not been this World Cup at all so far. Would you would you get tempted by the thought of playing Wood and Archer and going after Pakistan? I think Wood will play tomorrow, uh, whether it's Plunkett or whether it's Wokes who misses out. I'm sure with Wokes, of course, you, you are weakening the batting a bit uh, if you play them. But I think I think certainly from what Owen Morgan was suggesting there, I think I think Mark Wood is is going to play. It's really interesting this short pitch stuff, isn't it? Because you've got to be so accurate with it. You know, you, you can't just go you know, running in and just hurl the ball halfway down and, and think that's it. I mean, you've got to be, it's got to be so precise. You know, you're allowed two balls over the batsman's shoulder height standing up in the crease and, and anything much higher than that is a wide. So it, it's actually it, really skillful. And I think Owen Morgan was right to an extent. I think Pakistan, although they were pretty horrible the other day, I watched that game with West Indies, they, they, they didn't have a huge amount of luck either. But West Indies have got these big, tall bowlers. Not all fast. You know, Holder's not fast, Brathwaite's not fast, uh, the, the, the other fellows are pretty lively, but they just got that ball in, in sort of an awkward place. And so I think it works for them. Whether it's going to work for everybody, I mean, I'm doing West Indies Australia, for instance, on Thursday at Trent Bridge. W- will they do the same sort of short pitch tactic against them, I wonder, because they are you know, good back foot players used to playing. But, but when, when you get in, into a stage where you do have out on that leg side a fine leg and a deep square leg, so you're into you know, overs 10 and beyond. You have got two men out. Well, you, in a way, you've got to use, you can use them, can't you? Because the bouncer then, if it's bowled well, does become a wicket-taking option because you have got those two men out there and the batsmen have got to have a bit of a go at it. You can't just sway out of the way all the time and not play a shot at it. So, you know, all, all of that combined, um, I suppose, suggests that we are going to see a bit more because the poor old bowlers haven't got anything else. I mean, they haven't got any 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 swing or anything like that to, to go on, and, and yeah, we've seen already lots of cutters and slower balls and so on being being effective. But whether England really go after Pakistan tomorrow in the same way, we shall wait and see. Because I thought Morgan's last word there about you know if you bowl short here, you, you know you could get flogged, mm. is it, actually fair enough. I think that's true. So I think you've got to pick your bats when you pick your opposition, and then you look at how you're going to play each particular game. From BBC Radio 5 Live, this is the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Very much looking forward to that match between England and Pakistan. Will it be a run fest? We haven't had the fabled run fest yet. So who knows? It could be, it could be that match between Pakistan and England at Trent Bridge on that world record breaking pitch. Now then, I've got Natalie Germanos with me and Rushan Alam. And I've got a rather manky envelope which says TMS World Cup podcast sweepstake written on it. I believe we're getting to choose, we're going to pick out the names of players. I know who I'll get. I'm going to get Mustard Fitzer. The leading run scorer. Oh, leading. Here we go. Out of the yeah. envelope, I'm going to get somebody who's going to be a bowler, and it might be from South Africa, not doing very well. Oh! Virat Kohli. Oh, I got Virat Kohli. Oh, I'll pull the other. Have you really, though? Are I you just saying that? really got Virat oh, Kohli. Oh, God's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, alive. What are All we right. winning for Let's this? Just, uh, well, what do we win? Do we win anything? 
we don't win oh anything. Oh dear, so all those celebration was for nothing. Apparently, listeners are going to suggest, so listeners could suggest a prize for us. In fact, I don't like the idea of leaving it in the hands of them. Um, Rishad, go right, on. Here we go. I wonder who's left in here. Well, you'll probably get, Ka- you'll get Kane Williamson now, won't you? I, 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 I know what I'm going to be left with. Steve Smith. Oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> I will take that. OK, right. OK, I know what this is going to be then in that case, because <laughs> there surely can be nothing left. Because a man. Well, that's all right. That's not a bad one. It's not Steve Smith or Virat Kohli, is it? Well, no, but I mean, yeah. I like him a lot. He's very good in that. But <laughs> he was he was their top player in the final in the Champions Trophy. Pakistan looked dreadful though at the moment. I can't see them getting through the semi-finals. That's rubbish. That's absolutely rubbish. I don't want to play this game anymore. Uh, so Andy, yes, who, who did you get in the sweepstake? Did you get did you get Joe Root or something? I got Baba Azam. Baba Azam's good. Yeah, I don't think he's going to have a particularly massive tournament for the similar reasons that you were saying about Fakhar Zaman. I'm not sure Pakistan are looking particularly tasty as a, as a side, but you never know. He's, he's, an, he's, he's, an, an, he's a beautiful player. If, if you factor in, you know, aesthetic merit, yeah, which I think should be done more in cricket. That, you know, style points. Be, yeah, style points. So some you know, kind of coefficient. So you multiply all Babarazam's runs by so 1.2 or something. Former South African captain Graham Smith would end up with negative runs, would he? It, I mean, <laughs> and Gary Kirsten. Everyone likes them. different. different. I mean, Gary Kirsten obviously yeah. would right off the scale. Now then, we've been asking you uh, to let us know where you have been listening in to the BBC TMS podcast. Ideally trying to find the furthest away. And David Lewis has emailed in to TMS at bbc.co.uk. He says, I'm listening to the podcast at the Botanic Gardens in Bucharest while teaching kids to play cricket. Well, that sounds great. It's not, I wouldn't say it's that far away. What I, what I do know about Bucharest is that a very good friend of mine was trying to go to Budapest on holiday and got on the wrong train at Athens and ended up in Bucharest. Well, that is a schoolboy error. Um, it was. Also, why are you teaching children to play cricket in a botanical gardens? Well, it's green, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, you're going to knock out a rare orchid or something. I don't know if you played cricket in queue, they'd get. They'd chuck you out, wouldn't they? Well, they probably would, but I, I, I don't know what the botanic gardens are like in Bucharest. It might just be a load of daisies <laughs> and a few dandelions. I, I genuinely don't know. Never been. No, you've been to Bucharest? I have been to Bucharest, but I didn't go to the botanical gardens. <laughs> or play cricket, in fact. Hmm. Uh, Chris Henderson has also been in touch. He says, as a British 30-year expat, not 30-year-old, he's been there 30 years, living in Tokyo, Japan, where baseball and sumo are the major sports, you keep me in touch with my British roots. I listen to the pod every night. By the way, in Japan, they have an unusual dish of honey-roasted crickets. Yes, the insect. I've tried them. They're actually quite good. I hope England go on to roast every other cricket team in the competition. Well, well, well said, Chris Henderson. Um, they say insects are going to be the new big thing. In in, in food, in food yes. Not in, in yeah. cricket. Yeah, honey roasted as well, though. They won't be long before they, they pull them. They pull everything else. You get pulled pork and pulled chicken. I you mean, get pulled cricket before If you long. were a bee being honey roasted, I, I guess you'd see the irony, wouldn't you? <laughs> I suppose you might. Uh, this is from... Um, <laughs> This is from Nathan Brand. <laughs> I've really enjoyed the podcast so far, even more so since I've been listening from my balcony in Yerevan, Armenia. Mm. I'm here until midway through the World Cup as I'm on a, re- uh, on a research trip. Research? Research? Let's go with either of them. But I am looking forward to seeing some of the games live once I'm back to the UK. For now, though, I'll have to settle for a view of Mount Ararat as oh. I listen to the show. Mount Ararat, that's a biggie. It's that's, a biggie. Is that where the Ark was? It is indeed where the Ark crash-landed, famously. Crash-landed on the uh, top of Mount Ararat. Uh, Bible part uh, also, I've got, to, I've got to confess, I've never been to Armenia. Mark Young says, hi. 
I was listening to the podcast on the England-South Africa game and heard Aggers ask for the most unlikely place in the world where someone's listening to the podcast. Well, I reckon I might have a chance. I am listening from a place called Timor-Leste, a.k.a. East Timor, the newest nation in Asia, only 17 years old, where I am working as a New Zealand volunteer, helping them rebuild the country after many years of conflict and occupation. When I got the job, I had to find it on a map. Very, very good if you're playing Pointless. Right. You've been on Pointless, haven't you? I have not been on Pointless, no. You'll you'll be asked before long. You'll be asked well before me. That's the way it always works. Right. Timor Leste is the one you want. We've got got some more. To any question. Uh, Anything to do with countries. Right. Say Timor Leste or South Sudan. You can't go wrong. Not Oscar winners of the 1940s. No. Go with Timor Leste. (laughs) He started alongside it. Yeah. I think. Hedy Hedy Lamar's um, favourite leading man. Hedy Lamar was also, I believe, a, a nation state in the Pacific. Um, this is from Sam Malik. Dear all, I'm currently listening to the podcast in Stuttgart, Germany. The prize, uh, for, I mean, that's that's relatively close to cricket. It's very land, close. Isn't it? It's about an hour and a half by plane, isn't it, Stuttgart? I, I think C.B. Fry, once he tried to convert Germany to cricket in the 1930s. I think he you had right. a trip to Germany and spoke to von yeah. Ribbentrop. Where, that's but, true, actually. But yeah, that is absolutely the, true. The rest is sad yeah. history. Um, I. Uh, the prize for the winner of your uh, batsman sweepstakes should be to visit the listener from the most random location and present them with the prize of best listener. Oh, wow. What is the most random... Well, well Timor-Leste is Timor winning Timor-Leste at the minute. is up there. Antarctica. Do we have Antarctica the other day? I think we... Uh, oh, I hope not. Right. I don't want to have to, to do that. Yeah. Maybe we could send Isha to do it instead. Good place for cricket. Um, now then, Ben Stokes has competition for the catch of the tournament, I would say. A cameraman took a one-hander whilst holding all of his equipment after a Faf du Plessis six. That was one heck of a catch. Uh, We've seen a few. I thought that the, the best-performing Pakistani, actually, in the match the other day was uh, a chap in the crowd who took a pretty good one, two-handed. It, it, it was brilliant technique, not so spectacular. Well, what's, what's the best crowd catch you've ever seen? Well, in the last World Cup, there were some spectacular efforts because there was a competition running. Certainly, in, I think it was only in New Zealand, where if you caught a one-handed crowd catch whilst wearing a sponsor's T-shirt, you won some ludicrous amount of money. So people were, frankly, risking life and limb, hurling themselves across other people's picnics on those nice grass <laughs> banks they have in grounds in New Zealand. Just, I mean, they were happy to take out children, babies pensioners anything to get a diving one-handed catch in the crowd and there, there were some there were some heroic efforts I, i've got to say that it's it, i mean i've seen a, quite a good one at the ags bowl but my most enjoyable moment was actually not as much a crowd catch as a, as a crowd miss completely it was a woman at the point at old trafford she was holding a glass of red wine and um really not paying any attention to the cricket at all and the ball came sailing over the top knocked the red wine clean out of her hands all over a white dress it was absolutely spectacular it was like a scene out of pecking par <laughs> one of the most remarkable things i've ever witnessed in a cricket match uh, now then it's time for us to say goodbye i've got one final niche stat from today's play Dan. well let's have it then uh four of us uh, south africa's top six were bowled out today and that's the first time four of any team's top six have been bowled out in a world cup match since 2003 when uh, it happened to Zimbabwe against Australia in uh, in Bulaway. Only the eighth time in World Cup cricket, two of which were in the first week of World Cup competition in 1975. And it's the first time that four of a top eight ranked nation's top six have been bowled out in a World Cup game since England's uh, playing Pakistan in Rawalpindi in October 1987. 
Well, it was Bangladesh that did it, and they have won today quite spectacularly. Uh, thanks, Andy Zoltzman. England are back in action on Monday morning against Pakistan. TMS will be on air from 9.30 ahead of a 10.30 match start, accompanying live text and in-play video highlights via the BBC Sport website and app. Please do keep your emails coming with your least crickety podcast listening locations, and you can reach us at TMS at bbc.co.uk. But bye for now. The TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. Download and subscribe via the BBC Sounds app for a new episode every day. This is Owen Morgan. Thanks for listening to the TMS podcast at the Cricket World Cup. There will be a new episode each day throughout the tournament. It is such a good podcast that I listen to it before I bat, when I bat and after I bat just so I can listen to Tuffers give me some advice on cover drive, my pull shot, how I don't play the short ball, how my reverse sweep, all those very interesting things.